Welcome to Tree Talking Time, where we talk all things tree dogs. From the smallest fights to the largest hounds, drink squirrels to bears and everything in between. And from time to time, we might even run a little fast game. I know you've got quite a few world champions. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been blessed. God's definitely uh, showed me favor on, on a lot of good ones and training a lot of good ones. And I'll go into a little bit on, you know, from owning mediocre to figuring <laughs> out, hey, it's just as cheap to own a good one, you know. Yeah. And I'm ready when you are. Yeah, let's just roll right into this. Okay. You said you so your dad and your uncle got you started? Yeah. My, uh, my dad was an avid houndsman, and uh, he had, you know, he had hounds, but he also had cur dogs. Mm-hmm. and. He liked the squirrel hunt and coon hunt. And I had two uncles, my uncle Bob and my uncle Ed, which was ironic because Bob was my mom's brother and Ed was my dad's brother. Okay. And they both lived in the town of Metamore, which is just a couple towns over from where we lived. And both of them were avid dogmen and kind of what me and you would consider dog traders. Yeah. Um, you know, they'd have a lot of dogs tied to a lot of boxes. And, <laughs> and yep. I, uh, my dad would go to church uh, there in that town, uh, Metamore. And when I was a little boy, I would, I would beg dad, just let me stay with them while you're at church. <laughs> and sometimes he would cave and, drop me off and I would uh I would spend a few hours with my uncles and go around and help them with their dogs and and maybe even take a short hunt and of course when I was about 10 to 12 and you know dad brought home a uh, a mountain cur from Tennessee or Kentucky I can't remember which place, but it was a red, long-tailed mountain curd, slick-haired, you know, probably 45, 50 pounds. Yeah. Dog, what he ended up being, but he was six months old when Dad purchased him, and we had a big farm. We had a dairy farm way out in the country, and Dad said, keep him tied up a couple weeks, and then we'll let him run loose, and... I remember the day getting off the bus, and walking up the long lane, me and my brother and walking in and dad said, boys, I believe that red curves tree down there across the street, which was our property too. And mm-hmm. we grabbed our rifles and ran across the field and into the woods. And there he sat on his rear end, treeing up and had a gray squirrel. Nice. And that was the start of my cur dog life. And, yeah. uh, it just, I was just thrilled to watch a dog tree from then on. Mm-hmm. And then my uncle, you know, it got a lot of age on him, Uncle Ed, and he ended up moving in with us. He was like 81, 82 years old. And, uh, he moved in and brought his dogs along. So then <laughs> me and him would, uh, you know, we would rabbit hunt, squirrel hunt, coon hunt. There you go. And it's become an addiction. Yeah. And 
And, uh, you know, I grew up a few years there, you know, didn't really have a dog per se that, uh, you know, kind of when you go through those teenage court years and, <laughs> and, uh, then, uh, once I got a little bit more settled, I got back into the hounds and then, you know, got a few curves and had some decent ones, but I never really had, you know, what I would call, um, a competition style dog. And yeah, I finally ran into one, got him as a puppy and worked on him, trained him. Well, hang on before and, you even tell us this dog's name, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Um, I'm Merle Seeley. I live in Connorsville, Indiana. Thank you, Merle. So now, what's this dog that you picked up? I picked up a little dog. I called him Max. And I got him off of Johnny Parrott. And he was just a, he was a non-registered, just, just a cur dog. And uh, just hunted him. And he become what I thought was something special. And I started investigating to find out what he was because, you know, he didn't have any papers and tracked down where he had come from. And he was half black mouth cur and his mommy was a streak red female. Okay. And he was really one of the first, what I call, you know, above average squirrel coon dog. Mm-hmm. And so I started uh, going to a few NKC hunts. And, you know, I did hound hunts, but I never really did the squirrel hunts. And yeah. Started going to a few of those. And, and uh, you know, I would place with him. He was a nice dog. But uh, there, there was this dog that kept every hunt I would go to just about. There was this one in particular dog that would just end up winning. And Johnny Parrot owned her, and her name was Saints Creek Rosa. Okay. And she was a train cur out of Melvin Westerman's stock of dogs. Yep. For anyone listening that's not familiar, Melvin, well, Mel, if I could talk, Melvin Westerman, his dogs are, are feist cur crosses, if I'm correct, right? Um, Actually, their daddy was Rusty B which was an original mountain cur and their mommy, to be honest, was just kind of a yard dog. Okay. Uh, they really didn't know what I'd say she had a little bit of maybe farm shepherd or okay. border collie or something in her. She was mm-hmm. a black dog. Gotcha. But she basically would just run around Melvin's house, but she threw some of the greatest squirrel dogs I ever walked behind. Nice. That's crazy. And, yeah, it just, you know, it was one of those fluke things that, yep. um, you know, it just worked. Mm-hmm. And Johnny had acquired one, and he was just mopping up at the hunts. And I, you know, being competitive, I didn't like it beat. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I set my mind to, I'm going to have to get better. And I had met John Stewart and 
you know, he, uh, he got me looking more into the breeding program to try to get better mm-hmm. and taught me a lot on, you know, uh, lines to breed and, and yeah. what to look for in that line. And, um, he was just, I would always call him the chemist. He was just very, <laughs> very aware of breedings and lines. And, yeah. and so, um, I, Bought a little female named Candy out of Iowa of an older gentleman. And I thought, man, I finally got something, you know, to take the town, as they would say. And I went to the Indiana State Hunt. And sure enough, who do I draw? Johnny Parrott and Rosa. (laughs) And she beat the brakes off of me. And... I begged Johnny to sell her. He wouldn't sell her. And eventually he calls me out of the blue one day and prices her. And I drive straight to his house and purchase her. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't at his house. She was actually at Rodney Stratton being bred to Hardwood Lake Jake. Okay. Which I was perfectly fine with, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, for the listeners, what kind of time frame is this? Like, is this late nineties, early two thousand. I'm going to say that, hmm, you know, just to be honest with you, my memory is horrible. I'm going to say this <laughs> is going on 20 years ago. Okay. Uh, That's kind so, of what I was thinking. Yeah. And, you know, like I say, she was just a green cur, and, but she was just, she was just a really good competition dog. A lot of people probably wouldn't have liked her style because, um, you know, everybody wants them alone and by themselves and never look at another dog. But she was the type dog. She could treat her own squirrels, and she'd get a piece of yours, too. Yeah. Which well, was... Especially back then, the, the whole alone thing was not super common back then, so... That, that's very true. Well said. Um, we didn't really pay that much attention to it. I'd, I'd say as they do now, mm-hmm. um, but she was just, I mean, you could take her out with friends and she would just put squirrel after squirrel after squirrel up. Mm-hmm. And she was just a really nice pleasure dog and competition dog. And then of course, we made that cross with uh, Hardwood Lake Jake, and that produced um, a little dog I called Trooper. Um, and he was, you know, really nice dog. And I had several off of Rosa and different different dogs. You know, we mm-hmm. didn't care about the ONCBA back then. I didn't. I didn't really even know much about the ONCBA. Okay. It was just, you know, very good to, yeah. you know, something a little better and try to make better. And, and so we was fortunate to have some some nice dogs like Sarge and Hammer and uh, Trooper and and uh, Sally. Those was all great dogs that come off of, uh, off of, you know, Rosa, which he had tons of them. She was that that little dog was bred probably three or four times before 
I actually purchased her. Okay. And we went on, done quite a bit of winning with her, and uh, probably one of the greatest wins I ever had with her was we went to uh, LBL. I don't know if you remember this, but they had a they had a competition hunt that they called the Champion of Champions. No, I don't. You had to have at least a championship stature to be invited to the hunt. Okay. And that's back when uh that's back when Anthony Morris was doing a lot of winning with Blondie. And Blondie was a bird dog cross. Mm-hmm. And we went to that down at the LBL and we was fortunate to, you know, after three or four days of hunting, we we won that champion of champions with Rosa. Nice. So that was one of the one of the most premier hunts that I won with her. But mm-hmm. she did a bunch of winning even before I got her. Yeah. Just so, out of curiosity, what did she look like? <laughs> she looked just like the Susie dog that Carl Smith had. Um she was kind of a mousy gray color, a mm-hmm. um, little bit of longer type hair, and had a Coke bottle nose. Not a very pretty dog. <laughs> well, um, you just said that her mom, you know, might might have had some farm shepherd or whatever. It was just yard dog. That's so I was just curious, like what she actually looked like. Yeah, yeah. She was smaller too. She wasn't. I'm gonna say she was probably under thirty pounds. Okay. Uh, but a good, had a surprisingly good high pitch mouth and, uh, set right down, you know, and did bud, mm-hmm. um, real good about, you know, for back then is, and I know you're, you're aware of this, you know, 20 years ago when I first started into the OMCBA, a lot of dogs didn't stay treat very good. Yeah. Um, you know, if you had a dog that would stay three, you would do pretty good in OMCBA. Uh, so, but the first actual original Mountain Cur hunt that I ever went to was when I went with Sniper. Okay. When did you get Sniper in the in the timeline here of Rosa, her pups? Uh, after... Um, after I had raised a couple litters of Hardwood Lake Jake pups off mm-hmm. of Rosa, I had uh, I had a, fel- a gentleman call me, and me and Rodney had Stratton that owned Hardwood Lake Jake had become friends and hunted together quite a bit. He was a state trooper, really good dog man, very smart, uh, was really. Um, selective about his breeding he wasn't just uh he he wouldn't you know breed unless he really knew the dog was um above average yeah had a gentleman call me his name was jeff um morgan he was over by the rushville indiana area kind of over in Arizona. he's a farmer he called me up and asked me if I could uh, somehow talk to Rodney about breeding a female he had to Hardwood Lake Jake. And 
I called around and because I had never been with the female, her name was Pearl. But I called around and talked to a guy that I had hunted with quite a bit. His name was Dale Cop. And Dale told me, he said, she's a really nice dog, Merle. Said, she'll open low on the ground, but she's a nice squirrel dog. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to uh, talk Rodney into making that cross. Yeah. And Jeff told me that uh, he would uh, he would give me first first pick. Nice. And so when I went to his house, he had four males, four females. Four was yellow with white trim, and four was brindle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty neat looking cross. <laughs> But uh, I went to get a female. Uh, that's what I had on my mind. I took my kids with me. He let the females out. I picked the female I wanted. And he picked a little yellow male up that had some pink on its nose. And he was worried that that pink would hinder him selling it. Yeah. Uh, I told him, I said, if, you, uh, if you'll cut me a deal, I'll buy a pair. And I'll take the pink nose one. <laughs> so that's what we did. And that dog become uh, the dog at the time. I called him Sniff because he had a sniff of pink on his nose. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, he started really early and uh, done really well for me. Hang on a second. I got yeah. a dog bark. Anyway, I called him Sniff and he had a, uh, he come on really good, and Rodney talked me into going to Jamestown to hunt, and he was 13 months old, and we went to the September hunt. And uh, I got fortunate, and uh, I won the whole hunt. <laughs> but the funny part of the story was when I sat down to uh, write his, fill out his uh, registration, I wrote down... Back then, I lived on Meadow Springs, and I wrote down Meadow Springs Snip. But I had been uh, naming a lot of my dogs off of the military, like Sarge, okay, Troop, yeah, different things. And so when I wrote down Snip, I thought, you know, if I put an ER on that, that'll make Sniper. Yeah. And that's how, I, <laughs> that's how he actually got named. That sounds like a fairy tale, but that's how he uh, he actually got the name of Sniper. Okay. And so I won the September hunt, and then we won the uh, Kentucky State. And then I actually sold him to Chad Harston, and Chad won the Junior World, and then won the... OMCBA spring hunt, which made him three trips to Jamestown, three wins in a row. Nice. I don't know that the other dog ever did that. Um, and after he won that hunt, um, he actually hired me to take him out to uh, Illinois to the PKC World Hunt, mm-hmm. which I did. Me and Gary Brown rode out together. And I made it to the semifinals, and I drew out with the Blondie dog, okay. and Anthony Moore. 
And that's probably one of the greatest hunts I've ever been on in my life. It was a shootout from the word go. And Rick Stretch was our non-hunting judge. And uh, I lost that cast on a circle tree. (laughs) But win or lose, it didn't matter because to watch that dog work between two great dogs and me and Anthony running behind them, calling them and laughing and just had just had an unbelievable good time. Competitive, but sportsmanship at the same time. Oh, yeah. And at the end, shook hands and, you know, walked away with a great story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and shortly after that, me and Gary bought um, Sniper back off of Chad. And I went on to win. We won two world, two national, and 27 state titles with him. Wow. That's crazy. So, the first OMCBA dog you get, and it puts you on the map. Yes. Very fortunate. <laughs> very fortunate. I mean, not that you were new to dogs or anything, but, yeah, there's a little bit of luck just in the fact that oh, he's, not, he's not even the pup that you really wanted. You know? No. He, you're like, yeah, nope. I'll, I'll buy him if you know if you make me a deal, <laughs> and then he ends up becoming a world champion. Yep, and he absolutely uh, had more heart and drive than any dog I've ever walked behind day in and day out. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was he was equally as good on coons as he was squirrels. Okay. That's impressive. And we uh, we end up making him a a grand squirrel, a grand knight, and a grand tree in the OMCBA, and he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, he died earlier, in, you know, a younger in um, what he would call a dog's life. Mm-hmm. He acquired a uh, lung cancer. Okay. And how old was he? And died. Uh, I think he was around seven years old. That is pretty young. Yeah. So, but he, he was able to, um, you know, throw a lot of great offspring. Um, I won a lot of, um, junior worlds. You know, we won with snipers bouncing tiny. We won junior world with her snipers, red bug. We won junior world snipers, viper. We won junior world, uh, Gold Tooth, we won the Junior World. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, I know there's more than that, but just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And then even like Grand Pup, like Rage, yep. a Grand Pup is, we won the Junior World. Um, we got reserved with another Grand Pup we called Sniper's Red Lace. Uh, we won the Junior World with... Uh, Sniper's Kate, uh, which would have been a grand pup. Um, so, you know, he he really, in my opinion, he put a mark on the OMCBA dog world yeah. uh, as well. You know, he left, and I still, I have, I still have great grand pups in my kennel from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, now one quick it, question: I want to re- kind of rewind a little bit. Whatever happened to that female, his littermate sister? 
she made a really nice dog. Uh, we called her Whitney. Okay. And I got them both started. They started real young. Um, and John Stewart uh, bought Whitney off of me. She was probably around eight to ten months old. Mm-hmm. And John at that time was doing a more coon hunting than what he was squirrel hunting. So he cooned under a lot. And she was tough. She was really, really nice coon dog. And a good squirrel dog, but better coon dog. Um, And John kept her for quite a while. And uh, she, she was a great dog. She had one little problem. She would chew a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was from hunting her a lot in the summertime, yeah. you know, maybe it was just genetic, but I think sometimes habits can be formed by leaving them treated a long time. Um, you know, and them getting hot, yep. but she, yeah, she made a, a really, really top notch dog as well. Nice. But Jeff Morgan was the breeder and he went on to breed, uh, several other great dogs you know jeff just being a uh, a farmer not real well known he knew what he was doing uh what i don't think it was no accident uh you know or a fluke because he ended up being the breeder of boondock too as well okay the little the little dog that the islands owned that they called wiggles that come from jeff morgan as well and three different bloodlines three great dogs come from a farmer that nobody really knows of yeah so you know he knew what he was doing is what i'm trying to say yeah uh i give props to people like that a lot of people never know of a man like uh, jeff morgan that has bred some great named dogs that never gets no recognition yep so but uh We've been really, really blessed, and now we have a, kind of a, a new line of dogs, which is off of um, off of the Thunder Sport and the Toots Dale and Toots Candy and uh, that line of dogs that we're hunting a lot now. Okay. Uh, with the Major Drive Little Jack dog. I've seen uh, you post about that dog. I didn't real. I just kind of assumed that he was actually went back to Sniper. He really don't, um, he just, he was one of them type dogs that, um, I had when he was young, um, and he, he got started, Mike hunted him, Mike Powers hunted him a little bit for me, helped me with him getting started, and John had come home from, uh, a missions trip from Guatemala. And I, uh, I let John have him and, you know, uh, he ended up getting away from John and a guy by the name of Michael Pumphrey wind up with him. He made a really nice dog and I started getting pups off of him and really loved what I had, which the major drive hawk dog that I won the junior world with, he was off of, off of Jack. Okay. And, uh, so I I actually own him now, and uh, I really like what I'm seeing off of him. Nice. Um, you know, a total different line of dogs, but 
I've always liked the Thunder Sport line of dogs. Yeah. Alan Frank's been a icon for the OMCBA. Yeah. And um, then, you know, of course, the Two Steel and Two Candy dogs, they did really well. Mm-hmm. So um, I like I like what I see out of them. Now, granted, I don't, I haven't hunted a whole lot with mountain curs in a, in a quite a while, but uh, you know, here and there, but not a lot. But when I first got started in dogs, that's what I started with hunting was mountain curs. Uh, a friend of mine had some, and all his stuff was off of Allen's stuff. So I, I definitely like the dogs that I hunted with ten, twelve years ago, and I. Well, they seem to have a lot of drive and yeah. good mouth. Mm-hmm. And they're getting, they're they're definitely going to treat um, from what I see of them. Yeah, which I like the streak line of dogs. You know, mm-hmm. me and Gary Brown, we had, uh, you know, we would we would buy streak bred pups off of Carl Smith, and we had uh, we had the uh, Connie K dog. He placed third in the Junior World, which that's a that's a pretty cool story. Me and Gary own Connie K, Sniper's Viper, and a and a um, Sniper's Playgirl, and we had John Stewart handle Connie K, and we wind up being the final three <laughs> in the finals of the Junior World. That's and me cool. and Gary owned all three dogs, so that was a cool story. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't get to do that too often in life. <laughs> nope. And then we, uh, um, I had the, I actually owned and um, trained Hummer's mommy. Okay. The, the sassy jip, and she was off of Mount Jackson. Mm-hmm. And me and Gary, and Gary sold her to, uh, to the Looney Brothers. And of course, you know, they did great things with that cross between her and Tank. Yep. Produced Hummer and Festus. And of course, them two dogs just put a legendary mark on the OMCBA world. Yeah. But, uh, Sassy was a really, really nice dog. I mean, she was a stay put as uh, a Walker Hound would be. Mm-hmm so to speak, you know, for a cur dog. But I always liked the, Carl Smith's always had good dogs, in my opinion. I know he gets a lot of mm-hmm. a bad rap, but, I mean, that man, he's he bred dogs before I probably ever knew what a dog was in the OMCBA. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he did a, he's done a lot of great things for the OMCBA. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, but, I'm kind of sensing a theme here, and it kind of sounds like you like to start pups, yes, and get them going, and then you tend yes. to tend to let them go, yes. Okay, because you're like won the junior world, junior <laughs> world, junior world, and it's like, and you're like, All yeah. Right, yeah, we started this one, and then we sold it, and so I kind of was sensing that theme through throughout as as you're talking about yes. these different dogs. Yeah, and you know the thing is, and um, I think it's between being competitive and just enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But I set my sights, uh, which I have for, you know, the last 15, 20 years 
um, to try to get something better than what I've already had and to win that junior world. Okay. And, you know, I, um, I hope to win it this year. Last year I got kicked, couldn't go. Uh, I don't know that I had COVID, but I had all the symptoms of COVID. And I know one thing I couldn't get out of bed. Yeah. But I sent my buddy with my little junior dog and he got reserve world with her and hadn't really hunted with her too many times. Nice. So Jason Roberts, you know, he was good enough. Him and his boy Braxton took her for me and they got reserve, which I was very proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've got a little one that's a grand pup, the sniper that I call snipers, uh, Macy. Okay. And I'm working on her for this coming December. So that's, yeah, I do. I shoot my goals to once they turn two years old, I'm ready to start something else. Gotcha. So now what the, I do for the junior world, what's the age limit for that? Under two years old. That's what I thought. Yep. So, but now it's kind of, it's getting even better because now the USDC has got a junior world program. Okay. And, uh, the LMC is opened up and with Jimmy Inman mm-hmm. and that's doing really good. The legacy program and they, they have a, uh, you know, with the NSD, they have a junior program. So it gives me more than one option now. And I like that. Yeah. You know, I can try. Um, and then, of course, UMCA has a Junior World 2. Okay. Which I didn't actually win it, but I sold the dog two weeks before the dog won it. I <laughs> sold it to the guy, and he went and won the UMCA World uh, Junior World this year. And the dog that won the Senior World, I trained him, too. Nice. So... That was nice. I mean, kid won the junior and Hawk won the senior. So, so uh, how many junior had, world hunts have you won? I believe nine. Okay. Yeah. Pretty impressive. So, yeah, I've uh, I've won the USDR world. Uh, come close on the USDC. I got to the semifinals with Hummer. And got beat by uh, 50 points by Superman. <laughs> and then uh, Superman went on to lose to Johnny Rocket in the finals. Okay. But, but I I was right there. I was knocking on the door with Hummer. Me and, yeah. uh, me and Hummer had, I mean, we was right there. It just sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it don't. Oh, yeah. And, and I've been in the finals of the junior world six other times that I didn't win, you know, that I got reserve or third. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I really enjoy it. And like I say, um, I've been blessed, um, to be able to do it, but it takes a lot of time. Oh yeah. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience. Yep. See, I am not a pup man. So the thought of (laughs) starting that many pups, and every, you know, once you get one going and then just start selling it and start another one, that's like nightmare inducing. 
I want one. <laughs> I want that two year old. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's great. That's why. Uh, that's what makes the world great. You know, one man likes to do one thing, another man likes to do another, and it works out good for guys like you. There's a lot of guys out there that call me and say, "Hey, I know you're going to sell it after the Junior World. Just give me a chance at it." Yeah, and so. You know, I've been fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and meeting, uh, I met Gary Brown. I do need to probably tell this. Again, I met Gary Brown through the dogs uh, probably 20 years ago plus. Okay. And he just called me one day and asked me about a dog, and, and I called her dial-in. And, uh, we, uh, we end up hunting together and he bought her off of me and we've been friends and partners and dogs ever since. Nice. And he has taught me like John taught me on the breeding side of the dogs. Gary taught me on how to really analyze and break down a dog and, and make that dog better. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, He's a real dog man. Um, he's been unbelievable successful in the in the, uh, the beagle dog world, but you know he loves the squirrel dogs as well. And we've been, like I say, we partnered on dogs for twenty plus years and never had a an ill word or a hard feeling. And um, you know that's hard to do. Yeah, it is. Um, but he's he taught me, you know, we'd go out and he'd say, Hey, this is what we need to work on, you know? And I'd be like, I never saw that. He'd say, yeah, we need to fix that. Or, you know, Hey, this dog's good at this or, you know, and, and he taught me to, to watch more and to be more, you know, uh, having my eyes open and, and don't take it personal. Cause that dog didn't do as good that day. They're just dogs. Um, you know, and, and if you're going to train one, you have to realize dogs have good days and dogs have bad days, just like me and you. Mm -hmm. And some days they'll look like they can't be beat and other days they look like they couldn't win if you, if you tried. So, uh, Gary really helped me to, to analyze dogs better and made me a better dog trainer for it. Yeah. So. So with starting a lot of pups, do you raise any dogs or you just buy pups? I do more buying pups. Mm -hmm. um, I do occasionally every couple, three years, I may um, raise a litter of my own. But for me, it's easier just to purchase a pup and... Uh, get the bloodline, you know, that I want, or, uh, I just recently drove down to, uh, Virginia and picked up a Hummer pup, um, little female off of Shannon Looney. Nice. Um, uh, they, uh, you know, of course, Hummer's been dead, but mm -hmm. they had, um, collected him yep. and get a breeding, which is actually my little Jack dog sister ruby litter mate sister 
they bred her and I was on the list and um, they was nice enough to let me have the only female that she had. Very nice. And so I drove down and picked her up. So uh, I've been blessed to, you know, be able to get my name out there to where um, I acquire some really um, good females. But as far as being the breeder, I'm not really per se the breeder on the majority of them. Okay. I just happen to, you know, pick up the right pup, um, you know, so. Uh, that's well, from a breeder standpoint every breeder wants their pups to end up in the right hands so knowing that you like pushing pups and that you and your goal is to win a junior world hunt as a breeder it's a it's a no-brainer if, if you're interested because it's like that helps them get you know helps them and helps their their male dog their stud dog you know and their female look better right <laughs> so, yeah and i I uh, I hope people see it that way. <laughs> if, you know they, what I if mean. They don't. Uh, they're they're not thinking straight. Yeah, I uh, like I say, I do my very best to give that um, give that young dog every opportunity to get everything out of it that I can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of great dog men out there and great trainers, but. Um, there's a lot of things you can do to mess a young dog up. Oh yeah. Um, and I always, you know, I get a lot of people call me and say, what do I do about this? What do I do about that? And I always take them to my kids and sports. And I say, I try to relate that pup just like I would my son or my daughter out there playing ball in the backyard. Um, if I, if I take that, five or six year old child out there six days, seven days a week and play pass with it and catch and hit. Guess what? It's going to start not liking it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to start saying, you know what? I'd rather do something else today, dad. Yep. And if I don't listen to that, then what I do is I push them away from something I want them to like, and I feel the same way people do with, I see people get on and say, you know, my pup started at three months old and um, I cringe because I think, man, it's a three month old puppy. Yeah. And if you don't treat it right, you're going to do it more damage than good because it's because it is that wonder pup that starts at three months old. It's still a three month old puppy. It needs to be treated. Let it be a puppy. Let it mature. Let it grow. And, uh, you know, let it have fun with it. Don't, you know, if I go out and make playing baseball a job for my kid, they ain't going to want to play baseball. Exactly. And unfortunately, I think I learned that the hard way with my oldest son. You know, um, we played baseball pretty much year round with travel ball and league ball and, you know, and going to pitching coaches and batting coaches and hitting the batting cages. And, you know, like every dad, you aspire for your son to be that MLB player, that NBA player, you know, NFL player. 
and when he got in high school and uh, I think it was his junior or senior year, you know, he he come to the bedroom and said, Dad, I handed him my jersey. And, you know, um, of course, I think he did part of it for the right reason, but part of it, I think I just burned him out. Yeah. And so when my middle son played, I changed things up, you know, Hey, do you want to do this? If not, we don't have to do it, you know? And, uh, now with my youngest son, uh, I'm even more lenient about it. You know, Hey, if you want to do it, do it. If you don't, don't worry about it. Yep. And, you know, he'll be a senior this year and he's still playing. So, uh, hopefully, you know, I learned from that, but I also, I take that back to, people with their dogs too oh yeah you have to know when to back off of that puppy you have to know when to give it a break i think a young dog under the age of 10 to 12 months old don't need to be hunted no more than two to three days a week um and a lot of people would disagree with that and that's fine i mean that's everybody's right to their own opinion but to me i want them to i want them to like it yeah. I want to I want them to enjoy it and do it, you know, because they want to do it. If they start getting tired and their puppy muscles can't keep up, then guess what? I start getting mad. I start getting aggravated. I get disappointed. And then that ego gets in the way where that pup's doing the very best it can. It's just tired. I hope that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. But, and I think, uh, you know, like you said, somebody might disagree with you, but once again, we circle back to your track record here. And, uh, I think it's really hard to, to disagree with you <laughs> that. Yeah. I just, I, I, I had a good friend. He had a, uh, he had a young Walker dog and she was, she was fancy four months old. She would run and tree her own tunes and do it night after night. But I, I told him, you know, I said, you're pushing her too hard. And he didn't listen. Excuse me. And sure enough, she backed down. She quit him. And he called me up and he said, what do I do? And I said, put her up. He said, man, I got this certain, certain, you know, up derby coming up, you know, super stakes under a year old. Yep. She could win it. And I said, she ain't going to win nothing because right now she's done. And he listened. He put the dog up for 30 days and brought her back out. And she'd come back into it and end up going out to be, you know, a great young dog. And, uh, but, uh, you know, she just, to me, she got burnt out. Yeah. Um, Just overdid it. Yep. I don't know, and I think that's part of the problem with the, the super early starting. I mean, it's more in the hound competition than it is with squirrel dogs, but, um, you know, that PKC, you know, under a year old, it's like, mm-hmm. it's asking a lot. Especially it is. when you factor in, you know, how old that dog really is mentally, and, and when you, especially when you compare it to, like, people years, and, you know, 
I've heard different things, but you're looking from anywhere from seven to like 13 or something is what I've kind of different ranges I've heard. So like you're asking us somewhere, let's just say shoot the middle and say like a 10 year old, you Mm -hmm. know, to do what a college, what you expect a college athlete to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And once you put it in perspective, and that's like um, that's like with me too. A lot of people ask me about um, dogs' tree styles. You know, a lot of people want these cur dogs to be two feet on the tree, and and um, you know they, they have a lot of tricks. And I have, you know, I have tricks too. I mean, I could force a dog to put his feet on the tree, but to me. It's just like going back to sports again. If you've got a kid that's comfortable, don't change it. Yeah. And it's the same way I look at it with young dogs. If that dog comfort zone is sitting on its rear end at the bottom of the tree or standing on all fours, that's where that dog is comfortable. And the more comfortable the dog is, to me, the longer he'll stay. Oh. Now, if I force him to get in an uncomfortable position, it's just to please me, to make me feel like I like that better. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's beneficial. So All for right. me, I rather just that dog to be comfortable. And, um, you know, a lot of guys say, well, the only thing I got against that dog is he, he he should have his feet on the tree. Well, he's not a walker dog. He's yeah. a cur dog. So like standing at the bottom of the tree watching the timber, it's his comfort zone. Like you said, 20 years ago, it was hard to get one to sit there for five <laughs> yeah. minutes. So just be happy he's staying. Yeah. Yes, 100%. 100%. Speaking of uh, a dog, I got to I gotta mention this dog. And uh, we had a dog. Me and Gary, Gary actually purchased the dog from um, down south from Chris Gilmer, and we called him uh, Goldtooth. And uh, when Gary bought that dog, he, he, he called me and he said, I can buy this young dog. And at the time, I think he was 11 or 12 months old. And uh, Gary purchased him and had him had a a dog hauler bring him to my house and he told me he said if you'll uh he's he's already started but if you'll get him finished out i'll give you half of him and i got him and that dog was one of the hardest dogs i ever worked with <laughs> to get to stay treat he could tree squirrels as fast as anything i ever walked behind but he had the happiest feet you ever seen on a dog <laughs> i mean He'd be treated on one. He already had his mind on treating another. Yep. And it took me 30 days to get that dog to just settle down. But I'm telling you, once he did, uh, we had a lot of fun with that dog. Oh, I'm sure. We went, we took him to the NKC World, which was the Claude Thomas hunt. Yep. And we won the Claude Thomas we won that world hunt and then we 
we end up winning another world. And then we took him to the junior world and we won the junior world. And then Greg Maynard purchased him. And I think a week or two later, won the USDR world with him. Nice. And I think that dogs went on to win seven or more world titles. But to see a dog that was that excitable, I mean, he was just a fun dog. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he was uh, hard, to tr- hard to get settled down, but once, once he got dialed in and realized, uh, you know, that if he stayed, he got rewarded, so to speak. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he put it together, but, um, you know, and there was, there just, there was no limit to that dog. And, um, me and Gary, all of all the dogs that we've owned a bunch of them, you know, rage and, uh, red bud and, um, big play Ray and, sniper and all of them the one dog me and him always go back to and say man we wish we wouldn't have sold that one it was gold too so that well, dog air i guess that answers my question i was going to ask you what's your favorite dog he uh he was as far as competition dog he was my favorite okay as far as just having having a lot of fun with Day in and day day out, and low maintenance was sniper. Okay, but as far as competition and just exciting, it would have to be gold too. He was just that dog was exciting, yeah. but he was he was hard headed, and you had to work with him during the week if that makes sense. You yeah. know, um, he was he was something you. If you if you let up if you took your foot off the gas, he would uh he would make you pay for it. <laughs> and um but yeah, it's it's been a uh been a great thirty years of competition hunting and uh a lot of and I think the greatest part of it, and you'll agree with this, is all the friends I've met along the way. Oh yeah. And True friends, not just people, acquaintances. You know, I've yeah. got guys that I could call any day, and they would they would come and help me. Mm-hmm. I believe that. You know, and um, a lot of people don't understand. You know, men in the dog world and their obsession with all this. But at the end of the day, just all the friends you meet, and the the good guys, and the the true, genuine uh, friendships you make out of it, it's, it makes it worthwhile. Yeah, definitely. So, anything else? I, no, I mean, I, unless you got some good stories. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan <laughs> of stories, so. Uh, as far as uh, hunting stories go, I mean, some of my greatest is just, Remembering being a boy walking behind my dad and that old Coleman lantern and putting the aluminum foil on the back side of it, you know, so he went blind as as <laughs> boys in behind him. And uh, I had a brother James 
and James always liked to walk out in front. And Dad would always tell him, James is dangerous. You need to stay behind. Let me lead because I got the light. And James was a little bullheaded. And I remember walking one night, sure enough, James got out ahead of us all. And we heard a, we heard a scream and, uh, he had fell over embankment right down into a, a creek down into the bottom. They have just a ledge, you know, oh, drop off and he slid. <laughs> he didn't get hurt. Of course, you know, but, oh, uh, but he just, could you imagine just be walking along in the ground, leave you, you know? Yeah. Um, no, and we all, as you say you know, this, my, I'm thinking of the one place I hunt and it's literally like that. It is like a, probably an eight foot drop off down to this little Creek and it's not much of a Creek. So when you, when you hit the bottom, you're hitting rock, you know, yeah, there's some water there, but. This was probably, you know, when you're a kid, everything looks bigger, but just thinking back, I'm going to say it was probably 12 to 15 feet. Jeez. And, um, we all knew it was there. I mean, we knew the woods, Mm-hmm. But when you're walking at night, you're going to a dog tree and you're, you know, you're, you're not really, I guess, paying attention of your surroundings. But it was a good life lesson for, you know, my brother, my dad, you know, when when we went around and, and got him, you know, dad said, that's why you stay behind the light. Yeah. Let me, you know, but uh, my dad was a just a really, really um good man, a great father, a godly man. And, um, he was a great dog trainer. I mean, people would come all around and buy bad pounds, you know, and, uh, they'd never even try them. They'd just say, well, you know, you tell me what it is, Clarence. And, and there, there you go. But, um, I remember when uncle Ed and dad, and uh, dad had an old blue English female and uncle Ed had a red bone. He called ready and our blue English dog. We called her old blue. You know, we went real popular with names. Just, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, just to hear two 70 some year old men out there, uh, you know, trying being competitive brothers, you know, <laughs> 70 some years old out there saying, there's blue. No, that's ready. You know, and, <laughs> oh, no, ready struck first. No, that was blue. You know, uh, remembering those times as kids, you know, and it, it puts that fire in your belly. You know, you, you want to aspire to have a great dog. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, my dad, he, he'd teach you a lot of lessons with them dogs too, you know, and, and, um, he, you know, any picture you see of me that my mom, she's 94, still living. And, uh, she'll she'll go back and show pictures. And about every picture you see of me as a boy, I'm holding a Walker pup or a Kerr pup, you know, and, (laughs) um, a great childhood to be able to, you know, we worked hard, you know, on a dairy, you, yeah. you get up and you milk cows before you go to school and you come home, you milk cows before you do your schoolwork. And, but to have that luxury of being able to run the woods and, and hunt dogs and, and learn from dog men, 
yep. men that really love the sport and have that freedom as a child. And um, people say, you know, they was drugged as kids. Yeah, I was drugged to church. And uh, I was taught, you know, to treat people the right way and to be fair and honest. And I'm glad to have that kind of dad and mom that taught me that. Mm-hmm. Your upbringing is, uh, you know, very picture perfect American upbringing. And, uh, and I think a lot of guys that either have had that or wish they had that. I know it, I wished I would have grown up with the woods to run around in and a bunch of dogs. And that would have been my yeah. ideal childhood. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was really good. And, you know, out of all of us, there was 13 of us children. I was number 13. Oh, wow. Well, brothers and sisters. And, um, you know, my dad, my mom was 41 and dad was 53 when I was born. So I was the last of what they call the baker's dozen. <laughs> and But out of all the children, I was the only one that took the love of the dogs um, and still hunt the dogs, you know. Interesting. Um, so that's kind of, you know, strange thinking. Now I do have a, my mom's nephew, my first cousin, I believe he's the one that, you know, has talked to you, Lee Fairchild. Yeah. He's, he hunts, you know, uh, squirrel dogs and yeah. he hunted rabbit dogs and even done a lot with training, uh, you know, professional, uh, Frisbee dogs. Um, but he, uh, he's been real successful in dogs, but you know, we're the only two out of a large family between my mom's family and my dad's family. We're the only two that really took up the love of hunting from our, our family. You know, um, you would think more and like with my children, you know, my, my middle son did for a while, but you know, after he got married and uh, got a child and, and, uh, you know, has to work a lot. He's backed away from the squirrel dogs, you know, but yeah. he used to hunt with me quite a bit, but he don't get the chance to do it as much anymore. Well, so hopefully for him, when life settles down a little bit, he'll be, able, you'll be able to get him a good one. That's what I hope. Or maybe one of my grandsons, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to pass this on. So, Definitely. uh, I really appreciate you having me on. I hope I I appreciate you coming. Um, you know, to help somebody out there. And like I say, um, my phone is always open. If somebody has a, a training need and I can help them out in any way, or they just want to talk dogs, I'm always free to do that. Awesome. I'm sure somebody will take you up on that. And I might, including <laughs> me, <laughs> like said, I, I'm not a pup man. So, and I've got one out here in the kennel, so I might have some questions. Hey, call me anytime. I love to do it. That's, so. that's part of my life. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and talking to me tonight. Same here. Thank you, Mr. Sheep. You have a blessed day. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Tree Talking Media. And until next time, keep them talking in the timber.